Today is Monday, October 10th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. 60 Minutes Grills. The SBC's Bart Barber will have that top story and more on today's podcast. We bring you news from a Christian perspective. Joining me, as always, to break it all down, Trey Gons Phillips, Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faithwire. Happy Monday, guys. What's going on? I'm pumped. I am pumped to be here. Another week. We're ready to go. Let's go. Let's go. And uh, you guys have a survey. Barna (laughs) surveyed teenagers about Jesus. The the results are interesting. I mean, given the climate we have now, I was surprised by this. Yeah, a little encouraging, actually, which is nice. It's a rare thing in our world. Indeed. Let's get, uh, we'll get to the details on that, but also coming up on the uh, main thing, President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. Uh, Republican states are pushing back against it. We'll have the details on that. But first, we're going to go through uh, the news in 90 seconds. Russia's military, they launched several missile strikes in Kyiv earlier today and also elsewhere around the country. At least eight people, including civilians, were killed, dozens injured. Putin claimed an earlier strike that damaged a bridge connecting uh, to Russian-occupied Crimea. They called it a terrorist attack, so a lot are saying this may be retaliation for that. Um, And so you can check out more of the details on uh, CBN.com. PayPal has scrapped a policy change that would have seen users find up to $2,500 for spreading what it called misinformation. But then after an outcry on social media and, and elsewhere, they backtracked on it and then claimed that the update had gone out in error. Ryan Marie Hauk, the wife of Mark Hauk, the pro-lifer whose house was raided by the FBI, she's speaking out in a lengthy video and giving more details on this raid on her house and how terrifying it was. She said the agents, once they entered in, were sweeping the house and pointing the guns all around, including in the vicinity of her seven children who were screaming and clinging to her at the time. Mark Hauk is still uh, waiting for his next court appearance. And the SBC's Bart Barber appeared on 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper. Among the topics discussed were the church's handling of the sexual abuse allegations and abortion with Cooper zeroing in on the extreme example of a 10-year-old in Ohio who was raped. And this all comes as the DOJ is investigating the SBC. Those are just some of the day's top headlines. You can check out more over at CBNNews.com. And Billy Trey, this SBC interview, it's interesting because, as I mentioned, you have Mark Houck who's, and those 11 other um, pro-lifers who have been targeted by the DOJ. And the DOJ is also investigating the SBC, which I find uh, incredibly interesting. Again, ahead of this election, uh, the SBC seems to be doing all it can to handle this situation. And of course, Anderson Cooper taking the, the most extreme example you could possibly find <laughs> on abortion to levy that at, at Barber. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was fascinating. I actually read the transcript, which I often find you get a lot more out of reading the transcript sometimes than even watching. And not just that issue going into, you know, can a person be gay and in a relationship and be a good, a Christian in good standing, you know, all these other questions. It was like, let's hit every hot button issue. Um, And I thought he answered the questions really Mm. well, a lot on Trump too, you know, who are you going to vote for in 2024? And so, yeah, I think the, to your point on the pro, life stuff yeah that's that's huge and i feel like only one side of that story again is being told i think he did handle himself very well and how he answered questions like especially actually the one that struck me the most was his 
his 2024 who you're going to vote for question because you know anderson cooper and all i mean you know whatever no like no ill intention necessarily there but they're always trying to get the headline yeah you like oh, yeah. get something that, that that'll be attention grabbing whatever uh, and they tried to nail him down on who you're going to vote for in 2024 and he because he had said barber had said in the past he said who he voted for or didn't vote for in 2016 and then 2020 and he said well i'm not going to answer you now because i'm in charge of a lot of people. Like he said, I'm over a ton of people. Then I was just speaking for myself. It would be unwise for me to tell you who I'm going to vote mm. for now. Yeah. Uh, well, and I thought, look, good for him for not taking the bait because it's got to be hard when you're in the hot seat to not take the bait every time. Well, yeah. And we also don't know who the candidate is right now. Right. Yeah, for 2024. Early. I mean, we don't, Trump, we don't even know if Trump is running officially or not. I mean, a lot of exactly. people think he will, but we don't know. And like, you're right. They just want to it seems like they're searching for the headline. I completely agree with that assessment. And it is incredibly frustrating to hear the life issue, which I thought Barbara handled the answer to that question well. Totally. Because what they want to do is put you in this awkward position where you have to look like the bad guy. And and he answered it. Um, I think he said something like, look, I mean, it's a horrible situation, but I still don't think killing the child is the way to go. The unborn child, that is. And it is a horrible situation. And it's such an incredible incredible minority thank thank god that this doesn't happen in a widespread pattern that 10 year olds are raped and get pregnant i, I thought his answer of let's not make another victim here was, was a good one and again you know he, he was in the hot seat and i think he must have been he must have really prepared for that because it's not easy to take a grilling on those questions you have no. to know that yeah. that's what they're going to do so. yeah a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So good job there by the SBC's Bart Barber to, to go on and and to, and to try to be a voice, but also, as you guys said, to uh, handle the situation uh, as well as you, as one possibly could. So, all right, well, let's head into uh, our next story. And Barna did some research and asked teenagers across the world in multiple countries um, about their views on Jesus. So Billy, what did what did they find here? The results uh, were, were definitely uh, interesting. Yeah, interesting and encouraging. They spoke with teenagers and these are teens between the ages of 13 and 17 in 26 different countries. So it's a pretty big cross section of people. And what they found was that it was very rare for teenagers to think poorly of Jesus. You know, that was a line from the summary of the report that I found really interesting. You know, they basically went and asked a number of descriptors of Jesus. What do you think about Christ? You know, does he offer hope? Does he care about people? And, you know, nearly half of teenagers, and this is across faith groups, so this is all teenagers, 49% described Jesus as loving, 46% said he offered hope, and uh, 43% said that Jesus cares about people, and there were lots of other metrics, but but the ones that were negative, th that was what was so interesting, were very low in percentages, like only 7% mm. thought he was judgmental, so pretty interesting stuff. Was there any difference between teens who are actually reading their Bibles and versus those who aren't. Was there any difference in the results among, you know, Bible engaged teens from others? Yeah, there, yeah, there was. And it's really interesting. And in, in this culture of sort of chaos and disconnection and suicide is raging, you know, 84% of Bible engaged teenagers, those are teenagers who are reading their Bible throughout the week. Um, they believe that scripture gives them a meaningful life. I mean, that's a pretty amazing metric in a lost culture. 84% um, also said that the Bible helps them understand their purpose. Mm. Um, and again, you know, looking for purpose in this culture, when the vast majority of people of teenagers who are Bible engaged are saying that that's a pretty amazing metric. Yeah. I gotta say, guys, I'm, I'm surprised by the results here just because of how hostile 
the world in general and cultural in general is to Christianity right now. I'm a little I'm a little surprised by the result. Glad, pleasantly surprised, but definitely surprised nonetheless. And I think um, you know, when you look at this, I want to dig deeper. Like I want to know more yeah. about about what is driving these, you know, perceptions and mm-hmm. it's it, there's three different reports they've released on this. So there's a lot of data there. I think it's, I mean, good for them though, right? That they're able to, because right now, to your point, Dan, right now, the the world is completely aligned (laughs) against anything scriptural. Like they're completely aligned against giving people a good impression of Christ. Uh, And, you know, even, and it's kind of sneaky too, because they'll give you this, uh, this really, I don't know, secularized version of Jesus uh, as this great teacher and just a wonderful, loving person. And But you don't actually get to know the person and character. I mean, obviously, Jesus is all those things, but you don't, you don't get to know the full Jesus of the Bible. So right. anyway, with all of the odds stacked against them, it is encouraging that all of these people still walk away, a majority of them at least, with a good impression of who Jesus is, uh, you know, I think that's great because that gives the church and the Holy Spirit maybe uh, a little bit of hold in the culture. Like, oh, there's a there's an opening there for us as believers to maybe share more with them, you know? Yeah. And just to expand further on how how far culture is not in favor of Christianity right now, I there was an SNL clip going around where they actually made fun of uh, Biden, which was an interesting change of pace for Saturday Night Live. And uh, but then I'm so I was kind of thinking, oh, this is refreshing. It's a little bit different. They're going to attack both sides. And then he ends it with taking the Lord's name in vain. And and so I, you just uh, from all angles, you know, Christianity just can't catch a break in culture right now. You know, something that I think is interesting is we see that so much what you're just what you just described in in the secular world and in the media world and entertainment world in particular. But I think at the same time, we have a culture of people who are looking for something. Yeah, like we're so desperate for something. We're desperate for hope. Uh, So I think that this is maybe this survey is maybe a sign that, look, people as much as we make fun of the Lord in, in our entertainment world, People are taking this seriously and they're looking for something. So praise God that they're finding Jesus. Yeah. 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 And this helps us understand so that we can reach like, where are the gaps? You know, when people are saying something negative or positive, how do we then come alongside them to help them understand and being able to see it in all these different countries is pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So definitely interesting and encouraging results, as you said there, Billy. Thanks for bringing us that story. That leads us into our main thing today, and President Biden sparked a lot of controversy with his student loan forgiveness plan, and now there are some Republican states that are pushing back against it. Well, Madison Seals talked to a tax law expert uh, and commentator for Young Voices, Travis Nix, on today's main thing. On today's main thing, we're talking about Biden's highly disputed executive order to forgive student loan debt for tens of millions of Americans. Any day now, the Education Department will release the application for the forgiveness program, opening the floodgates for millions of borrowers to apply for debt cancellation and receive relief within four to six weeks after. The plan will cost roughly $400 billion, according to a new estimate by the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, which will increase the federal budget deficits over the next decade and even beyond. The administration's plan to temporarily extend an existing pause on student loan payments would further increase the cost by roughly $20 billion. Here with me now to discuss what the deal is with this deal is Young Voices commentator and tax law expert Travis Nix. Travis, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Madison. Thanks so much for having me on. 
Of course. So first I want to ask, is there a precedent for this kind of national debt forgiveness in the U.S. like this? Uh, from the executive, uh, solely from the president, we haven't seen this ever. Um, the statutory authority Biden's relying on was actually passed post 9-11 during the Iraq war that was supposed to cancel the student loan debt of veterans and war heroes who were affected by 9-11 and by the following wars. So Biden's relying on that to cancel student loan debt for everybody by declaring that the U.S. is in a total national emergency and the whole country is a disaster area due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's the uh, weak statute legal position that the Biden administration is relying on, and it's totally unprecedented. Right. As you said, this isn't just for a limited group of people like veterans. So who is eligible to have their debt forgiven? Yeah, so it's anyone under the income thresholds right now with they're eligible for up to um, $10,000 for normal borrowers or $20,000 for um, if you receive the Pell Grant, which is a federal program designed to help poor Americans attend colleges. And the income threshold that you have to meet to be eligible is you have to make under $125,000 if you're single or $250,000 combined if you're married with someone. So both of your incomes have to be combined, have to be below that. And it's uh, people are eligible just for their federal loans. So originally it looked like private loans were going to be on the table. But recently the Biden administration released guidance last week saying that private loans were also off the table because they wanted to avoid um, some lawsuits that could be brought by um, private loan providers, because if they would have canceled private loans, it's likely that private loan providers would have sued the administration over the program being the cancellation being unconstitutional. It seems strange that President Biden announced this plan via an executive order, something that's usually reserved for a time of emergency. And six six states agree with that, namely Nebraska, Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, and South Carolina, which were the first to allege the Biden administration overstepped its executive powers in going forward with the program. It does seem kind of insignificant, this student loan debt with all the other economic pressures and world events that are going on right now. So what do you think is behind the push for this now? I think it mainly comes to the activists that we see in the White House. I don't think Biden wanted to do this. He was against it for a very long time. And then this summer, we could see him being pushed back. And I think it just comes down to the fact that he has a lot of staffers who are saddled with student loan debt who chose to work in his administration. And I think they're the ones who really pushed him to do this, which caused his 180 because he was against it for, you know, the first year and a half of his presidency. He could have done this under his legal justification at any time. He could have released this executive order, but he was really against it. And now that you know, people are starting to have to pay their student loans because there was no interest going on for a while during the pandemic. And once they started back up the student loan debt cancellation, I think um, it came from the inside of his administration that people were really pushing him to do this. Yeah, that's an interesting point. All the young people that could be behind this as well that would benefit from it. A total of seven states, all Republican-led, filed lawsuits against President Biden Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona and the Department of Education. What are the repercussions that Republicans are pushing back against? 
Uh, they're mainly just pushing back on the unconstitutionality over this bill. It's blatantly unconstitutional. The problem with the state's lawsuit is it's very unlikely that they're going to be able to get into court procedurally. So for a lawsuit to go through, one has to have standing. Uh, they have to suffer an irreparable harm. And unfortunately, taxpayers like me and you can't sue the administration saying, you know, that the deficit is going to rise $400 billion. That costs about $2,000 per taxpayer. There was a suit filed in Wisconsin two days ago that alleged this fact to justify a lawsuit against the administration. And it was dismissed immediately. It was dismissed yesterday. So two days after the lawsuit was filed, it was dismissed. So it's unclear in the state lawsuit who actually, if the states would have standing and the ability procedurally to challenge the lawsuit. So right now it's all about trying to find someone who actually is capable of filing a lawsuit to get it unconstitutional. That's what Republicans are searching for right now. It's clear if Republicans were to take back the House of Representatives, they would have the ability to sue as this violates separation of powers. But they really don't want to wait for that because obviously it takes them until January to get sworn in. And by that time, thousands, if not millions of Americans will already have had their debt canceled by then. So right now, Republicans are just searching for someone who has the ability to file a lawsuit against the administration. And I want to talk about the taxpayer next, because my husband just paid his college loans off right before the forgiveness, literally like weeks before. And we celebrated that because it was an accomplishment, unlike debt forgiveness, which doesn't actually eliminate debt, as we've talked about, but transfers it to taxpayers. Although I will say that we benefited from the pause on the interest payments that's been in effect for the last couple of years. But it's not that we don't want millions of young Americans to feel the, re the relief that we felt when that burden was finally gone, but we know that it doesn't simply disappear. Someone has to pay for it, and it seems like it's mostly Republicans bringing this important aspect to light. So why do you think this is an issue seemingly split down the political middle? I just think that Republicans are aware of how unfair this whole thing is. Um, like my brother, he's in the military, he's in the Marine Corps. Um, he's going to get his student loans canceled because he took the sacrifice to defend our country. It's inherently unfair now that he is going to have to pay for this program through either higher taxes, one, or more inflation and higher interest rates, which then affects, you know, everyone's ability to buy a home, purchase a home. And I don't think it's just a Republican issue. I think this is deeply unpopular for anyone who, like your husband, has paid off their student loans and is now having going to have to pay through this for through higher taxes or higher interest rates and more inflation. So I, I think the Biden administration politically made a major misstep because I think most Americans know that this is unfair. And I even think the ones who do receive the student loan debt cancellation, they know it's unfair, but they're just willing to, most of them are willing just to take the debt right off and live with the economic consequences that's going to accompany this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Like you said, it's bigger than just the Republican Party, although they may be the ones bringing it to light. But college is extremely expensive. And I think everyone can agree on at least that issue. So if national student debt forgiveness isn't the best answer for skyrocketing college costs, what is or is there an answer? I think the easiest thing that we can do is look at the Indiana specifically and the Purdue University president and the Indiana University pre president, 
they've capped tuition costs for like the last decade. And I think that's something that most state schools need to look at because obviously costs have gotten out of control. We need to look at reforming the student loan programs. Maybe if you have like a major in, let's say, computer science or engineering, high earning potential career field, maybe you should have a lower interest rate than someone majoring in political science. For example, I think there's so many creative opportunities to lower the cost of education, and just no one's looking into it right now. Well, Travis, that's all we have time for today, but thank you for breaking this topic down for us, and I want to thank your brother for his service as well. Uh, thank you so much, Madison. I was, ha- I was happy to come on. All right, Madison, thanks for that conversation and that information, and that leaves us with time for just one last thing today, and uh, we're going to head over to Psalm 51. Yeah, you know, it's Psalm 51, 10, and we talk so often about people converting, coming into faith, um, but I think for a lot of us as believers, just needing to make sure we're in line with the Lord and that we're kind of rebooting ourselves in our hearts The scripture reads, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's just a great little prayer for, I think, all of us to say daily. Yeah, especially amidst this culture here, which, like we said, is often hostile to the views of Christianity and um, you know, the morals that we hold dear. And so how do we navigate that? Are we, are we always to be just genteel and, and quiet? Are we to speak out? Are we to call out hypocrisy when we see it? I mean, are we to preach the gospel loudly when, when we have opportunities? How do we navigate all that? And I think this Psalm and this prayer, you know, created me a clean spirit. I, I think it can set us on the, on the right path it, it, when we're trying to do that. And I think it also reorients us too. like, whenever I read the Psalms, I think, okay, this puts me in a better posture of where I am, because there's a tendency, I think, among believers, particularly when you're around one another and you're, you're kind of rah rahing each other because yeah. you're, you're saying something that's true. So I'm, uh, you know, you're not, you're, you're saying things that are in line with scripture and you're all agreeing with one another. Right. It's easy to get kind of high up on yourself and think, oh, I've got this all figured out. Yeah. But then when you read scripture and you read the Psalms, you're like, oh, you know, without the Lord, I wouldn't understand these things. Without the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't have mm-hmm. an enlightened mind to understand what scripture says and what the Lord says about these things. So uh, it is good to, to go prayerfully before the Lord whenever we're going to be approaching these issues, to your point, Dan, whenever we're going to be speaking out on something, yeah. let me get my heart in the right place first. Right. I mean, we have to remember our hearts are, are corrupt and deceitful above all else. I mean, we were just yeah. going through Malachi at our church and, you know, the people there were so arrogant. They didn't even you know, God's calling them out on their sin. And they're like, what? I mean, what, you know, when have you ever helped us? I mean, what are you talking about? Like they, like they don't, what, what did we do? Like they don't even know how far off they are from God. And I feel like, um, you know, we can look and point, but I think, you know, we're the same way. We're, we're the same humans with the same deceitful hearts. So um, I think this Psalm is a good reminder for us all here on this Monday as we're getting ready to head throughout the week. And uh, that is where we're going to leave this episode of the podcast. As always, get on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. And um, Lord willing, and that creek don't rise, we're going to be back here with more tomorrow uh, with more. So God bless. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Monday.